thousand years. They go back to oral traditions. And this is found uh, in different places, not, not just Israel, but um, that was back in the time of oral traditions. And once writing got into, into use, we began to see them, uh, these, these sayings um, being posted, uh, well, on the pyramids, for one thing, and in, in other parts of the countries um, with their, what we'd call hieroglyphics or, or some kind of writings, you know. Yeah, on the wall. On the walls, right. Yeah. And then they've got to be put, in, put on um, uh, buildings, public buildings, too. So by the time Solomon came around, I want you to realize this was already ancient. Proverbs were already ancient words. Uh, uh, um, they were very succinct. They expressed a deep philosophy um, and a, a philosophical concept in just a few words. And every culture has them. Every culture has them. I've... I've Picked up a couple of cultures here that I wanted to read. I chose Chinese because of you. Oh, oh. You may can say it. I don't know. And you'll immediately you'll understand why I chose the first one. You can't get fat with one bite. Don't you love that? <laughs> you probably can say it in Chinese. But another one is very is very good too. Listen to this. A child's life is like a piece of paper on which every person leaves a mark. That, that's pretty good. I love, absolutely love, the African proverbs. In Ethiopia, a proverb is, a friend is someone you share the path with. And in Ghana, it is difficult for two long-nosed lovers to kiss. <laughs> Makes sense. <laughs> Sierra Leone, do not tell the man who is carrying you he stinks. <laughs> this is a proverb. And one of the things when we were studying and, you know, getting prepared for this whole study, um, Courtney kept saying, give us a definition. How do we define? How, what's a good definition? So, I mean, as a general statement of wisdom and a guideline for living is certainly one. But Robert Stein was one of the authors that we delve, you know, we begin to delve into. And I love his. First of all, like Courtney had mentioned, he says, they're not laws, and they certainly aren't promises. But he said, they're general observations from a wise and careful look at life. And then he goes on to add a biblical proverb as a divine perspective. There ain't nothing divine about two long-nosed lovers. <laughs> I mean, seriously. And there ain't nothing divine about eating. You know, there really isn't. So that's one of the first things. But what I... What I want us to do, and as you can tell on, on the sheet that I've given you, the very first thing I say is look for Jesus. Look for Jesus. A lot of people look at the Old Testament as history. H-I-S-T-O-R-Y. Uh -oh. And you have heard me say, I, it, 
if you've sat under any of my teaching for very long, you will have heard me at one time, at least at one time, say the Old Testament is H-I-S-S-T-O-R-Y. It is his story. We are going to see Jesus, and I want you to look for Jesus. It doesn't take just me pointing it out. You look for Jesus. Look at the very, very first line. The Proverbs of Solomon, son of David, king of Israel. Whoa. Let me read something to you. You don't have to turn there. There will be plenty of time. We're going to do lots of turning. That's another thing you find out when you're around me very long. Um, but in 2 Samuel chapter 7, God makes a promise to David. He says this, Your house and your kingdom shall be made sure forever before me. Your throne shall be established forever. He makes a promise of that to David. I want you, everybody, to turn to Matthew chapter 1, because this is exciting. It starts getting really cool. We know that Matthew was written to the Jew. Matthew was written to the Jew. Matthew's gospel presents Jesus to the Jewish people as their long-promised Messiah. Now look at this, the very first line. Check this out, ladies. The book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David. Now you see this word Jesus? In the Hebrew, it's Joshua or Yahshua, and it means Yahweh saves or Jehovah is salvation. And then it says Christ in the Hebrew. That's the equivalent for Messiah. Jesus is in the first line. Look over at Luke. This is going to really excite you too. He ain't no Jew. Luke is not a Jew. I went to college so I can say ain't. But I want you to look at Luke chapter 1. Gabriel appears to Mary. And every time you see an angel appearing, they always say, don't be afraid. I mean, how many angels have you seen? You know, don't be afraid. But look at what he says in chapter 1, verse 32. He says, well, let's go to 31. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High, and the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there will be no end. In the very first line of the book of Proverbs, we see Jesus. It doesn't scream at you. I get it but I want it to scream at you because it's right there. It is right there. Now we're going to, as, as we get into the book of Proverbs, we're going to see that there's a, there's a way that we can look at it. Um, we can see it as practical living, 
And actually, the verse, six verses are practical living. We can see it as ethical and moral living. The verse, first six verses are that way also. But we also see it as a theo, uh, theological living. And we're going to get into that. This is the preface. This is the preface. And you know what a preface does? It's like Courtney was saying, the, the preface tells you what the rest is going to, you know, what else is coming. It tells you what's ahead of you. This is the preface. Look at these couplets. I want you to, I want you to look at these couplets here because these, this is a way of, uh, this is one way, the poetic way of doing it here. To know wisdom and instruction and to understand words of insight. You see, when you've got a couplet, what you do is the first line says something, and this is a synthetic or a synonymous couplet. The next line says, it says the same thing, but it explains it a little bit more. It tells a little bit more about it. So each line, you're learning a little bit more. Look at this. To know wisdom and instruction, to understand words of, of insight, to receive instruction in wise dealing and righteousness, justice, equity, to give prudence to the simple, knowledge and discretion to the youth. And what I want you to understand here, this is like a family reunion. These are all related. These are all related to wisdom. Wisdom, instruction, understanding, insight, more instruction, wise dealing, righteousness, justice, equity, prudence to the simple, knowledge, discretion. And uh, even verse 5, it says, uh, increase in learning, the one who understands obtains guidance, to understand a proverb, understand. This is like going to a family reunion. Have you ever done that? And you walk, a lot of our family reunions when we were younger used to be out at, um, at a park. And you could walk around and you'd say, oh my goodness, doesn't he look like daddy? <laughs> and somebody else would come by and they would laugh. I said, oh, that's laugh just like my sister. I mean, you can go on. You see what I'm getting at. It's multifaceted, but they're all related. They are all related. And then, then we get to this verse 7. And verse 7, those of you that were here and heard um, Nathan Gearhart, he explained some of it for me already, but I'm going to get a little bit deeper. Look at this. It says, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. What's interesting is verses 2, 3, 4, and 6 are all, they're, they're all infinitives. To know, to receive, to give, to understand. And all of a sudden, this is thrown in here, verse 5. It's not the same. It's a couplet. It's, it's got an explanation. But look at this. Let the wise hear and increase in learning. And the one who understands, obtain guidance. Hmm. Increase. Wisdom is not just a one and done deal. There is continued growth. Do you catch that? Do you see that? Look at this. The fear of the Lord is the what? The beginning. So we are to increase 
But where we start is with the fear of the Lord. As a matter of fact, the Amplified says this, the fear of the Lord is the, not just the beginning, but the starting point and essence of knowledge. Now, I want to talk a little bit, I want to talk a little bit about Lord. I've looked at the King James, the New American Standard Bible, the, excuse me, the NIV, and the ESV, and all of them are capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D. And that is excessively important. This is what Nathan was getting at Sunday. Lord is the Jewish name for God. And this is where wisdom begins. Notice this. It's the Jewish national name of God, the self-existent eternal one, the one who reveals himself personally in redemptive history. And most often it's used to signify God's covenant character and his promises. So we've got Jehovah here. We've got Yahweh. Yahweh, the Father, designs redemption. The Son accomplishes redemption. The Spirit applies redemption. Spurgeon would say, election is by the Father, atonement is by the Son, regeneration is by the Spirit. Do you see Jesus here? Absolutely. The fear of the L-O-R-D in capitals. <coughs> That's the creator God. The self-existent one. Who is part of redemptive history. And he's part of redemptive history because he sends his son. I think it's important that we see Jesus here. Don't overlook that. Don't overlook that. And it says, the fear of the Lord. Mm. Now, fear can mean, a lot of times, just shaking in your boots, your knees knocking. And we ought to have some fear like that. We ought to have some fear like that. I don't have any problems with that. One of the, uh, Bill Crowder is one of the... Um, uh, daily Bread right. re Writers, and I, I, I like what he said. He says, this is where wisdom begins, embracing the greatness of God and desiring to honor him. Embracing the greatness of God. The fear of the Lord means to stand in awe of him, in reverent love, submitting willingly to his or lordship and obeying his commandments. I read another author and he said it is reverential trust with a hatred of evil. If the Lord doesn't like it, I'm not going to like it. Hmm. A hatred of evil. Now, listen, we all sin. We know that. And we can go to him and ask forgiveness when we're his child. And, you know, the fellowship can be broken. Uh, John Owen was a Puritan writer who said, sin in the believer 
is a burden which is of an affliction to him, not a pleasure which delights him. That, that says a lot for the godly person. That says a lot for the godly person. I, or at least I think it does. So what we've got here is this idea of the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. But we grow. We don't stay right there, do we? Courtney pointed out, and I think this is good, the first nine chapters, they follow a very reasoned argument on the value and uh, the significance of living in God's wisdom. And it's here where we see that this is very, very distinctively Hebrew, very distinctively Jewish, because it's the fear of Yahweh, not the fear of some other, some other God out there, but it's the fear of Yahweh that sets the standard here. And I, <laughs> I know this sounds a little bit silly, but that's okay. That's part of how I am. I couldn't help but be reminded about the first psalm in the uh, hymn book, in the, in the book of Psalms, because it's a preface. We're told about the godly and what they don't do, but how they meditate on the word of the Lord and how they are like a tree that has been planted by the rivers, you know. And then it talks about how their, their, um, their fruit, they're always fruitful, and, and how, they, um, how, they are, how they're strong and they're standing there and how they're going to be, whatever they do is going to be blessed. And it takes 76 words to describe that. And right at the next part, it says, the ungodly are not so. Look at what we got here. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Fools despise wisdom and instruction. That's just one of those little crazy things that, to me, I see the connection there so much in being this, this being the preface, uh, this being the preface right here. Um, this couplet, because it is a couplet, there's a fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Fools despise wisdom and instruction, but it's not one that is telling you the same thing. Because in Psalm 53, 1, and Psalm 14, run, it says, the fool says in his heart, there is no God. There is no God. The fool is one who is morally deficient, ethically deficient, theologically deficient. So right from the beginning, we see that the right attitude toward God, or wisdom requires the right attitude toward God, toward Yahweh, toward Jehovah. Now, uh, that was the preface. We're going to come to wisdom versus folly here. And this starts out in verse 8. Look at this. Hear, my son, your father's instruction, and forsake not your mother's teaching. This begins right smack dab in the home. Wisdom begins here, 
embracing the greatness of God begins here, and desiring to honor him begins here, right in the home. Everyone turn to Deuteronomy chapter 6. Deuteronomy chapter 6. And this is a very familiar, this is a very familiar um, passage. Deuteronomy chapter 6. Uh, well, we could go, no, let's just go to verse, well, let's go to verse, this is the Shema. Hear, O Israel, verse 4, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your might. And these words that I command you today shall be in your heart. You shall teach them diligently, turn the page, diligently to your children. And shall talk of them when you sit in your house, and when you walk by the way, and when you lie down, and when you rise, you shall bind them as a sign on your hand, and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. Where does the fear of the Lord begin? It begins right in the home, doesn't it? Right in the home. And that's what we've got here. Notice what it says here in verse 9. It says that um, they are a graceful garland for your head. What's a graceful garland? The instructions of the father, the, the teachings of the mother. They are a graceful garland for your head and pendants for your neck. Wow. We, we, if we, we're not going to do this, so don't panic. But chapter 4, verse 9, talks about the garland again. Chapter 3, verse 22, talks about the pendants. These were signs of, uh, of uh, symbols of respect and dignity. Joseph, in chapter 41, verse 92, Pharaoh puts a gold chain around his neck. Esther, in Esther chapter 2, 17, when she goes to, I don't know if it's Ahasuerus or Asherus, I'm not sure. I speak confident. Asherus? When she goes to Asherus and he looks at her, she's his queen now. And he puts a crown on her head. This would be a great place to start talking about what crowns mean in the New Testament, but that's a whole other study, okay? Um, Daniel, in Daniel chapter 5, verse uh, 29. Balthazar asks him to repeat, or to, to um, not repeat, interpret a dream. And he interprets it, and he places a gold chain around his neck. This is something that is visible to people. And they show the effects of, verses, of verse 8 of the teaching and the instructing of the mother and the father. Now, we come to wisdom versus folly, verses 8 through 19. Oh, yeah, I probably should have done 10 through 15. It says this, My son, if sinners entice you, do not consent. And notice what they say here, these sinners. If they say, Come with us, let us lie and wait for blood. Let us ambush the innocent without reason. Again, there's, this is the couplet, ex, 
there's a statement, and then there's a further explanation. And all of these things, all of these things that they're wanting to do, what I want you to realize something, that this is those who are without the fear of the Lord. And if they don't have the fear of the Lord, look at, look, Exodus 20, chapter 20, verse 12 says, first of all, honor your father and your mother. Chapter 20, verse 13 says, thou shalt not murder. Chapter 20, verse uh, uh, 15, not that, that first one was 13, verse 15 says, thou shalt not steal. Chapter uh, Exodus 20, chapter 17 says, thou shalt not covet. And there's a whole list of things, but it, anything that is your neighbor's. And overarching all of this is the principle Thou shalt have no other gods before me or in place of me. And clearly, they did have that, right? This is fools despising wisdom and, instruct, uh, and instruction. The fool is one who is morally deficient, and their theology, if they have any, is going to be morally deficient. And that's what we see here. That's exactly what we see here. Now, this is deology. That means this is my idea. <laughs> okay. There in the middle of this is this um, verse 17. For in vain is a net spread in the sight of any bird. And I thought, I wonder if that was a proverb of the day. I mean, that, actually, that makes pretty good sense, doesn't it? If you're going to try to trap a bird and you show him you're getting a trap ready for him, he ain't going to stay there. Now, I'm not sure that that really is, <laughs> honest to goodness, I'm not really sure that is a proverb. Uh, I think what it is is a couplet of contrast. Because in, now I've got a study Bible. I like what it says here. It says, wise and sensible actions of the bird contrasting with foolish actions of the sinners going after ill-gotten gain. That's probably the better way to look at it, but uh, makes sense, doesn't it? Who had the bird brain? You know, I mean, that's my question. Who has the bird brain here? If if a bird is watching you and he can tell he's gonna you're gonna try to trap him, he flies away. But notice in verse 19 it says, Such are the ways of everyone who is greedy for unjust gain. It takes away the life of its possessors. Wow. Okay. Like I said, who's got the bird brain? All right, the next section I'm wanting to us to zero in on is wisdom's call. Now, there's a couple of things just before we get started, or maybe not a couple, one thing. There, this is personification. When you use personification, you what you do, because it's a metaphor, there's a comparison, you are comparing human characteristics to something that's not human. So whoever, or whatever wisdom, because wisdom is the fear of the Lord, 
whatever wisdom is, is being personified here. All of a sudden, we have some human characteristics. And that's okay. I, I, I'm not saying there's anything wrong with that. I just want you to realize that. Because it says here that wisdom cries aloud in the street, in the markets. She raises her voice. At the head of the noisy street, she cries out. At the entrance of the city gates, she speaks. This is where we live every day. Notice it says in the streets. That's the neighborhoods. That's, that's the street right in front of my door. That's the neighborhoods. Wherever, wherever you come out of your porch, that, that's the streets. That's your neighborhoods. And then it says, in the markets, she raises her voice. That's bushes or Kroger's <laughs> or Aldi's or wherever you go. And then it says, in the noisy streets. That's the main roads. That's commerce here. That's uh, whatever that one is. Union Lake. Union Lake. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> Give me a little help there. Thank you. I appreciate that. That's Union. That, that's the big streets. And then this one has, is very uniquely, very uniquely um, uh, mentioned for the time. At the entrance of the city gates, she speaks. The city gates were, were where a lot of business was taken care of. But you actually could even say that, you know, because I live about half a mile from where Plymouth Township starts. And actually, we aren't too terribly far from where some other places start here. So it, it's the idea of just where we are, where we live. And notice what she says to this. This is what she is saying. She's saying, how long? Oh, simple ones, will you love being simple? How long will scoffers delight in their scoffing? And fools hate knowledge. So she's talking, she's hollering out to the naive, to young people that are open to all sorts of influence and to the morally deficient one. She says, if you turn at my reproof, behold, I will pour out my spirit to you. I will make my words known to you. Wow. She pleads. Wisdom pursues, and she pleads with them. Now, I want you to notice verse 24, 25, and then verse 29 and 30. Look at this. Because I have called and you refuse to listen... I've stretched out my hand and no one has heeded because you have ignored all my counsel and would have none of my reproof. Notice what she says down in verse 29. Because they hated knowledge and did not choose the fear of the Lord and would have none of my counsel and despised all my reproof. You know, this is a repetition. Anytime you see a repetition like that, it's like a highlighter. You know how I've got some things highlighted because I feel like they're important? That's a highlight. That's a spiritual highlight. This is what you've done. Notice what she says in verse 26. Because you've done this, I also will laugh at your calamity. I will mock when terror strikes you. When terror strikes you like a storm and your calamity comes like a whirlwind. When distress and anguish come upon you. 
Then they will call upon me, but I will not answer. They will seek me diligently, but will not find me. Look down at verse 31. Therefore, they shall eat the fruit of their way and have their fill of their own devices. For the simple are killed by their turning away, and the complacency of fools destroys them. But whoever listens to me will dwell secure and will be at rest without dread of a disaster. There you are, verse 33, the big but. You know what but means. There's a 180 degree. Can't see your butt until you turn around completely. And that's the turnaround. Whoever listens to me will dwell secure and will be at ease without dread of disaster. Do you see D Jesus and wisdom? 1 Corinthians 1, 24, big long verse. Toward the end it says, Christ, the power of God, and the wisdom of God. Colossians 2, 3, Christ, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. Jesus is the ultimate, ultimate storehouse of divine wisdom and spiritual knowledge. Look for Jesus, and you'll see him. Now, I'm going to do something that I was not supposed to do, so I probably will hear about this all the way home. <laughs> oh, my word. <laughs> I want you to see something in chapter 2. We're going to look at verses 1 through 8. Show us more scripture? Oh, that's terrible. <laughs> okay. Look at as we read this, as we read this, I want you to notice these active verbs. My son, if you receive, now this is acceptance, it's not just hearing. My son, if you receive my words and treasure up my commandments with you, making your ear attentive to wisdom and inclining your heart to understanding, yes, if you call out for insight, if you raise your voice for understanding, if you seek it like silver and search for it as for hidden treasures, then you will understand the fear of the Lord and find the knowledge of God. These are active verbs. Seeking wisdom takes effort. Do you catch that? Seeking wisdom takes effort. Notice, let's, let's go ahead and finish this on. For the Lord gives wisdom from his mouth, comes knowledge and understanding. He stores up sound wisdom for the upright. He is a shield to those who walk in integrity, guarding the paths of justice and watching over the way of his saints. And by the way, some translations use the way of the godly. That's what's being talked about here. And isn't that a beautiful picture of Jesus? Is that not a picture of Jesus? giving you wisdom when you ask for it, giving you uh, knowledge and understanding, being a shield to you. Isn't that Jesus? James says, 1.5, if any of you lack wisdom, 
Let him ask God who gives generously to all without reproach, and it'll be given him. James 3, 7, wisdom from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, open to reason, full of mercy and good fruits, impartial and sincere. We have such a beautiful picture of Jesus here. See Jesus. I am finished. You didn't even do your bees. Yeah, yeah. Oh! <laughs> we got blanks to fill. Yeah. yeah. We got blanks to fill. I'm sorry. I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. Uh, we want you to read even uh, like you've got chapter 5 coming up, is it? Yes. Read the rest of it. Read between whatever we've done here in chapter 5 and keep reading. But keep in mind the three V's because that's where you're going to see the three V's. Virtue. The first one is virtue. What virtue does this proverb commend? Or maybe command. Vice. What vice does it hold for disapproval? And finally, value. What value does it affirm? So as, you, as we continue to read the Proverbs, let's do that. Let's look for the three Vs. Let's look for the virtue that it's commending or, or perhaps commanding. Look for the vice that it's upholding as being of, of disapproval. And what value does it affirm? 